All right, there we go. I feel like the ship is, is leaning this way. Everybody's sitting on this side of the, uh, of the plane here. Okay. Isaiah chapter 7. Before we get started here, uh, for those of you that um, haven't met me, my wife and I pastored Calvary Chapel, North Phoenix, over on the northeast side of town for about, uh, we were there, uh, um, I was pastor there for 29 years, and we turned the church over in 2010, and um, it was 10 years ago, really, that uh, we became part of this uh, group of pastors, longtime Calvary pastors, that uh, is in a ministry called poimen, which is a Greek word for shepherd, poimen, uh, Greek word for shepherd or pastor, and our heart is to go around and encourage and assist and help out other pastors and wives in their ministry, whatever the need is. And so we've been doing that now for 10 years. That led us over to England. Um, matter of fact, March 4th, uh, seven years ago is when we headed out. <coughs> kind of the, the mantra was um, March 4th with courage, you know. So here we are, March 4th. Um, seven years later, and it's um, pastoring at Calvary Chapel in the southwest part of England there, as well as going around and helping out other pastors and wives in the UK and in Europe. And then about a year and a half ago, I had a heart attack, and things kind of slowed down, and uh, the Lord began to speak to both of us that it was time to move our ministry base back to the States. And so we transitioned the church to a British pastor and eventually moved up to Colorado where our oldest son goes to church at Calvary Chapel Aurora uh, in Aurora, Colorado in the Denver area. He's on staff there as the graphics guy. And so uh, Pastor Ed Taylor asked if I would just kind of be a volunteer pastor guy <laughs> to, to help out when we're not going around and helping out other pastors, so that's kind of what we're doing, and um, we just finished up a, a conference down in Tucson, Arizona, and um, made our way up here. I dropped my wife off at the airport to fly back, and so here we are. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> you know, when you're in England, they pronounce words differently. Isaiah is not Isaiah, it's Isaiah. Emphasis on the I, Isaiah. Anyway, we're in chapter 7, and you left off at verse 16, right? So we're going to start with verse 17, and we're going to uh, read a few portions and then talk about it, and then... Uh, think about what was going on at the time and its application to them. But then we want to draw upon the principle that the Lord was trying to get through to the people and make that principle ours today here in the 21st century. And so we've gathered here tonight not just to get information, but inspiration. We want to hear the Lord speak to us personally. Each of you have your own journey each of you have a history. You have testimonies on how God has worked, and he's not done working, and he's got things in the future, and what he's 
ministered to you in the past, he also wants you to draw upon for the future or to help someone else out that you're going to encounter. Because God isn't done with you here until your last breath, right? And so let's just get busy and find out what the Lord wants for us. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll launch into Isaiah chapter 7. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who breathes life upon the word. He is the the author of the word. He inspired the writers to write these things down in the way that they're written down, and even to not include certain things that happened in history, but just those things that were important that have to do with us as well. So, Lord, as we look at this, may you speak to our hearts, and may we learn from it as Paul the Apostle exhorts us in the New Testament. And so we set this time before you in Jesus' name. Amen. When you examine the different kings over the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of of Judah... Um, All of them, all the 12 tribes made up the children of Israel, but those northern 10 tribes, probably as as Brad has touched upon already, there there is not one king of all the northern tribes that ever did right in the sight of the Lord. But with Judah, in that southern kingdom, God kept a light going, and most of them did right in the sight of the Lord, but a few of them did not. And here in chapter 7, we're dealing with one of the kings, one of the worst kings, not the worst. Manasseh was the worst, I think. He's later on. But um, Ahaz, one of the kings of Judah that did not do right in the sight of the Lord. And it's amazing that Ahaz has a son named Hezekiah who did right in the sight of the Lord, and probably because of his mom and and possibly his uh, grandparents. There's a little hint of that here. But, you know, God never is done working. And when you're reading through the prophets, the prophets use so much of the elements of Hebrew poetry um, using pictures to carry across the concept Because sometimes when we hear words, we don't catch the full impact of it. But if you see it on YouTube, (laughs) all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're watching it in action. It's played out, and it goes deeper. It makes sense. It touches more of the little things in your brain and helps you to grab a hold of it. Um. When our second son was born back in 1973... He came down with spinal meningitis. We were in Virginia at the time. Medical College of Virginia. And we were 22 years old. And we remember the doctor taking this into the room and, and reading off to us a whole list of all the things that were going to happen to him because he had beta strep bacterial meningitis. They pumped tens of thousands of units of penicillin through him from two weeks old to seven weeks old to try to kill this bacteria. Dozens of spinal taps to test and see if the fluid was clear. 
And, and, and you know, all this information was going over our head. It was kind of hard to wrap our minds around all the words until we had some friends and their son had spinal meningitis and he ended up deaf the rest of his life. And all of a sudden, seeing it in action really drove home the, the reality of, of the seriousness of what was happening here. A picture's worth a thousand words, as they say. God is trying to break through to the people of Judah, especially to this king. He just doesn't get it. He's trying to look at every other possible way to, to lessen the onslaught coming from the northern kingdom and from Syria. And so he wants to draw upon the king of Assyria and, and kind of pay him off and become his subject and have him help and crush these other two guys. I mean, he's looking for human help instead of the Lord. But God cares about his people down in Judah, and he cares about the godly line. And so he's trying to convince him through Isaiah to say, listen, test me. And I'm sure Brad covered that in the earlier part of chapter 7. Ask of me a sign. And yet there is a hardness in this king, King Ahaz. He doesn't want to seek the Lord. He hears Isaiah, but he doesn't want to really hear. You know, in the Hebrew, the, the, the word for hear is shema, shema, and it also implies obedience. It's not just hearing with the ear, but it's a hearing to obey. Obedience has to be part of it, or you really didn't hear, which makes a lot of sense. What we have here in verse 17 is now God saying, okay, understand what you are trying to hope in, and I'm going to tell you that that hope is going to end up being a curse upon you. So here's what we read. I'm reading from the uh, New King James. Now, your version might be a little different, but it's catching the same, I'm sure. Verse 17, the Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house. Days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come, all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rock and in all the thorns and in all the pastures. Now, why did he include Egypt here? Because was also the idea that maybe we can draw upon Egypt for help in dealing with the northern kingdom that wants to take over our territory, or Syria that wants to help them. So he's looking to all of these other uh, world powers for help, not even considering that they're going to be a danger to him, and, and the Lord wants to show himself strong, but, they, but he's not looking to the Lord. You know, it reminds us of <clears throat> so many times when we get into a place of crisis, there's just a knee-jerk reaction where we want to find any way possible to get out of it, no matter what it is, and we haven't even started asking God what he wants to do in the middle of it. 
Because sometimes you look at the history of Israel and also the history of the church, and you see that there are times the Lord wants to be with us in the fire and in the flood and not just not have a flood or a fire. He wants to show us his grace even in tribulation. And sometimes what we learn about the Lord in a time of trial is much deeper than when things are going great. Because he knows how we are. Um, we, when things are going great, our pride just kind of sneaks up and, say, and says, I got this together. And, and we are just, our life is like a house of cards. The slightest wind blows it all down. And so this issue with the Lord saying, I'm going to whistle. I could never whistle like my dad. I mean, you know, in the old days, they didn't have cell phones, Right? I had one of the university students in Exeter. Uh, he's, you know, between the, their ages, 18 to 21. And this guy was from Kenya. And so I was discipling him upstairs. And, and in the middle of, of talking about, you know, walking in the Lord, he goes, wait a minute. You were alive before there was mobile phones. And I said, yeah, I was. He says, well, how did you communicate? And I'm thinking, am I really hearing this from a guy that's going to the University of Exeter? And uh, I said, and I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with him a bit. And I said, yeah, we had pagers. And he goes, what's that? And I said, well, a pager is a little a device, kind of like a garage door opener. You, you put on your, on your hip, and there's a little screen on top. And if somebody calls you, their number will actually show up. Well, if you didn't have mobile phones, how'd they call you? Well, it was a, a, like a landline. It was attached to the wall. And he says, he says, wait a second. You were alive before email, right? I'm going, yes, I was. He says, how did anybody communicate with anybody? I said, well, we, they didn't. We, 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 we wrote letters and, and put a stamp on it. And so he was just, his mind was like, this is, this guy's old. <laughs> and the reason I'm talking about that, this word whistle, when I, when I read this verse, I think of my dad. When I was a little boy, we lived on a dead-end street. And so I'd go down to the end of the dead-end street, play with my friends, and when it was time for dinner, guess what? <laughs> you know, he would have this whistle, distinctly his whistle, and I knew I'd better be home quickly or I'd get the board of education. So here's the Lord saying in chastening, I will whistle for the fly. Now, if you've ever lived next to a, um, a lot of horses or to a racetrack, you know what horse flies can do. Well, the fly that's talked about here is one that causes welts. And so this is a chastening. And really, it's a, a picture of the army coming down against them. So uh, the Lord is using a picture to carry across the concept to show them that it's not going to be a good life experience. And it says the Lord is going to cause it as chastening. Not just the fly from the, that um, is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt, but, the, but for the bee that is also in the land of Assyria. 
They will come and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and the clefts of the rocks on all the thorns and in all the pastures. In other words, there's not going to be one place where they're not. They're going to just cover the land. Now, this is trying to break through to Ahaz because he just thinks that his help is in everything else except the Lord. And isn't it amazing how in our life, God can take some of the things that we just thought were the best thing and just turn it upside down because he's trying to get our attention. It collapses. It's not that it's wrong to, to you know, have a, a spare tire in your car or something you know, that you're relying on just in case, but your trust has to be ultimately in the Lord. Because everything in life can change like that. As I experienced a year and a half ago, I didn't have any risk factors at all. And I ended up having a heart attack, and it was a game changer, a life changer. And I was never so frail in all my life afterwards. I didn't bounce back like all the stories I had heard. I would just get tired after five minutes of visiting with somebody and I, they'd come over to want to see how I was doing and I, and I, I, I would just sit there and, and it was nice that they were there but I, I would have to stop and say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I need to lay down. And it was shocking to me how frail I could be and not just get over it quickly. Our life is a vapor. It's fragile. And, and we so need the Lord strong on our behalf instead of trusting in everything else. Your future, my future is dependent upon the Lord being strong in our behalf. I need him. You need him. And they're going to be upon everything. All that you're used to, everything you think is going well, it could all just end up wrong. And, and he goes on in verse 20, in the same day, the Lord will shave with a hired razor from those, uh, with those from beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the river being the Euphrates River. He'll shave the head and the hair of the legs and will also remove the beard. And this is a picture of what happened with the captives because the Assyrian kingdom was noted for their absolute cruelty. You think that ISIS deals cruelly with their captives? Assyria was worse. To the point where they would impale their captives on poles. To terrorize the, the towns that they were going to come into so that they would just submit and not uh, fight. Just, and, and it's the word terrorized. They were terrorists in that way. But he says the Lord is going to allow it. Don't you understand that these people are coming? God wants to be strong on their behalf. He wants to be strong on their behalf, but they don't want to trust him. And the Lord just has to back off and say, you know I can't protect you. I want to protect you, but you keep running from me. In other words, everything is going to be stripped away. Your land, your future, your lives. 
And for the Jewish men, you know, having, uh, having a, a beard was a sign of uh, not just manliness, but of maturity and strength. And, you know, it was a cultural thing at that time. It's coming back, by the way. <laughs> you know, I can't grow a beard. I end up looking like a billy goat. So I just shave, clean shave. And in that day, verse 21, it shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. So it shall be from the abundance of milk they give that he will eat curds, which is yogurt. For curds and honey, everyone will eat who is left in the land. And the idea here is poverty, um, no help. Um, you're so impoverished, you're doing everything you can to just keep um, um, a cow alive and two sheep. And, you know, there's no farming. There's no vegetables. It's just, you know, the milk from the cow and... And the abundance of honey talks about just everything being dormant. Nobody's plowing the land. It's all wildflowers. And that's the idea of the abundance of honey. Because nobody's plowing the land. It's desolate. In verse 23, it shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, it will be for briars and thorns. With arrows and bows, men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with a hoe, you will not go there for fear of the briars and thorns, but it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. Israel was an agricultural society. And now all that was going to be gone because they didn't want to trust the Lord. God isn't trying to threaten them. He's trying to wake them up. Don't you understand the danger of trying to live life on your own? I want to be strong on your behalf. The Lord is trying to break through. And so he's just telling them the truth. He looks ahead and says, here's what's coming. Reminds me of of uh, Matthew 24 and Jesus giving a warning to his disciples on what was going to be happening in the future. Speaking the truth in love. That's what God does with us. He speaks the truth in love. Right here, he's not an angry God whipping around his rod. He, he's trying to plead with them and use pictures to break through their stupidity. And when I say stupidity, I'm talking about a stupor where you're just kind of in a daze and you're not thinking clearly. That's chapter 7. The Lord's not done with them, by the way. Imagine being Isaiah and you have to deliver this. His heart must have been broken. Because, you know, when the Lord opens your eyes, when you become born again, you start seeing the world through the eyes of the Lord, through the heart of God. And you see people destroying themselves, and you see them doing things that's going to bring um, a reaping on their life. Because, you know, it's a principle in the scripture and in the kingdom of God, you will reap what you sow. There are consequences for sin. 
The Lord gave a warning of all those cons consequences back in Deuteronomy, which they read every year. But sometimes you can read something so often, it just doesn't connect anymore. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that forever. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And, you know, it doesn't hit. So the Lord says, well, let me give you some visuals. <laughs> and this is what this is. Now, talk about visuals. God's even going to use Isaiah's kids. Chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of um, Jeberechiah. Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Now, how would you like to have that name growing up? So, yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your initials? MSHB. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and the meaning in Hebrew uh, of, the, of the Hebrew words is rush to the spoil, um, race to the prey, basically. And, you know, speed to the spoil, hasten to the booty or to the, or to the prey. And so, but Isaiah's ministry was to communicate to the people what God's heart was. And even the names of his kids. Actually, his first child was earlier, and that was... Um, Sheer Jashub in chapter 7, verse 3. So he's got a couple of kids, but he's going to say later on in chapter 8 that the Lord wants to use me as a testimony and my children as a testimony to speak truth into your life. And just, just one side note. You know, our heritage can't just be our net worth. The heritage and legacy that we're to pass on has to be our testimony in Christ. Passed down to our children and our grandchildren, even if they're not receiving the Lord's mercy and they're rebelling right now, still pray for them. Talk about the days and how God worked in your life. Pass it down. That's your heritage. And here's Isaiah and the names of his kids even being testimonies about the warning coming. Please pay attention. You know, it's like naming your kids, Jesus is coming soon, you know, and have that, you know, all of a sudden they sign up for preschool. Uh, what's your name, Sonny? Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> you know? So, Isaiah's wife conceived, bore a son. The Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz realized that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said you shall bear a son the Holy Spirit will come upon you and his name shall be called Jesus Yeshua Jehovah's salvation you know God has a name for us um, it's fascinating to think about Peter um, you do a little character study on Peter, 
and you find out that Jesus only called Peter, Peter three times. All the rest of the time in the gospel accounts, his name was uh, called Simon by Jesus. Simon, Simon. What were those three times? First one was in John chapter one. You shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for a small stone, small rock. The next time he calls him Peter is when Simon makes that great profession, confession, possession. <laughs> Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Simon. My father in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, which is a different Greek word, meaning mountain, basically, I will build my church. The third time the Lord said to Simon Peter was when he told Simon he was going to deny him three times. Peter, before the cock grows tonight, you will deny me three times. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Why would the Lord call him Peter at that time when he was telling him he was going to be unfaithful and deny him. Because here's the thing. God doesn't give up on us, even in our failures. He's got a name for us that represents his work in us. And the reason I say that is not just Peter, but it's in the book of Revelation when Jesus says to one of the churches, he that overcomes, I will give to him a white stone and on the stone a name written that no one knows except him that receives it. So if Jesus is giving the stone, he knows what that name is and the person getting the stone is going to know what that name is. And I have a hunch based upon what the Lord was saying to Peter that that name will represent God's work in us during this life. And that we'll have a new name, and it'll be a name that represents how our life glorified God through his work in us. Does that make sense? It's just an idea. You know, I'm not going to write a book about it. It's just an idea. But I think there's some basis to that. So in Isaiah here, you have the Lord you know, ask, telling Isaiah to have the even the names of his kids be a testimony. Verse 4, going back to Isaiah 8, For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. And that's basically, in history, it was only like less than three years from this point. And basically, it's the Lord saying, King Ahaz, listen, the Lord wants to take care of it. And the king of Assyria will be coming down and doing some damage. But don't put your submission under him. Trust the Lord. And we find out in the book of, of uh, Kings and Chronicles that Ahaz just pushed it away and did what he's going to do. And it caused 
the king of Assyria to come down upon Judah and just wipe out the land and come all the way up and surround Jerusalem. He could have avoided all that. It ended up happening in Hezekiah's day, his son's day. Let's continue on. Now, before we go on any further, in verse 5, um, I've heard that sometimes there's questions and answers or comments or things. Is that, is that so? You want me to go on? Oh, right, I'll go on. Verse 5. Carry on. Keep calm. <laughs> the Lord also spoke to me, saying... Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly and rejoice in reason and Remaliah's son, they're, they're the ones that they're the enemies, and rejoicing in means rejoices in what's going to happen to them. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them, over who? the people that refuse the waters of Shiloh that flow softly. Shiloh is um, the Old Testament word for the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And this is a picture of how God just wants to bring nourishment and rest and peace in their life if they will just count him as their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and as a result... All the rest of Psalm 23 is true. But when the Lord is not your shepherd, life's going to get tough. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And by the way, England is full of sheep. I really don't like lamb, but um, they're fun to watch. And right, in the, you know, And they're always eating. They're constantly eating. And then sometimes you're driving by the field and they're just... They're just resting in the field, chewing away, just chilling. I heard um, um, one brother that was teaching at the conference, and, and he raised sheep for a little while as a um, 4-H project. And uh, sheep have, uh, they don't have real good eyesight. And so um, that's, that's why they kind of follow the leader. And when they get away, they kind of lose their way. Kind of reminds us of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> but their hearing is, is really good. And, you know, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10. Jesus being the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And may the Lord make up for our own inefficiencies by just being able to discern his voice through his word and through our lives as we begin to sense the promptings of the Holy Spirit when there are times that there is a, a check in our spirit, which means that, that we are just, we don't have a real peace about what's going on. And there's a sense of uneasiness there's a sense that something's not right kind of like those times when you open up the refrigerator and something's not right you can't find it but something's not right something's rotten in there 
and you're going and you're smelling the milk and you're checking the yogurt and you're finding out what's going on. And then, you know, you find out after digging through everything, there, there's a potato that's a biology project in the back uh, of the drawer that somehow it got dropped over there. And so, you know, may the Lord help us to discern his voice. Because there's a lot of voices out there. Social media is full of voices. And sometimes we just need to turn off the social media and spend some time saying, Lord, I, I need to spend some time with you and, and just hear your voice again. It, was, it used to be so clear. And now it just seems like it's so muddled. Restore that. Restore my hearing. Open my ears to hear. Verse 7, chapter 8. What's our break-off time, Brad? Midnight? Okay, let's keep on going. Uh, Verse 7. Therefore, uh, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river. They're rejecting the, the, the still, quiet waters of the pool of Shalom, referencing as the Lord. And God's going to bring in a river and flood them out. In other words, he's going to bring chastening upon them through the armies of the king of Assyria. The waters of the river, Euphrates, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria in all his glory. He will go up over all his channels, go over all his banks. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over he will reach right up to the neck. In other words, the armies will just mess up all of Judah and come right and surround Jerusalem, the head of Judah. He will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Now, I think this is fascinating because in the midst of the chastening, God is trying to say, but you know it's my land. Because Emmanuel means God with us. When the Lord decides to, to allow chastening in our lives, it's not to destroy us, but it's to train us. And sometimes to remove from us what hinders his blessing, what hinders the fullness of his blessing. We can never earn his blessings. His blessings are are unilateral from the hand of God. But I can hinder his blessings through disobedience. I'm under his grace now in this covenant, the new covenant under the blood of Jesus. I've got this tremendous benefit of new grace, new mercy, fullness of spirit every day. But I can hinder my life experience of that through disobedience. And the Lord in his kindness will chasten me because he, he wants me to experience the fullness, just like raising our kids. The reason we chase, chasten our children is not because we don't like them, but because what they're doing is destructive in their life and it's not going to train them for a more full life. 
Verse 9. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. At the mention of Emmanuel, it's like the, the whole tense changes, saying, but you know what? God is the one in charge of this land. Even though man comes against God's plan, the Lord will ultimately break through in his own victory. This was going to be a chastening, not a destruction. Because God has a plan for Judah and the kings of Judah because the Messiah is going to come out of the kingly line. Emmanuel. And so verse 9 and 10 really is like, you know what, king of Assyria, you think you're all hot stuff? And you think you're going to, you know, be victorious? Well, it's not going to happen because of Emmanuel. God is with us. And then you read the history of what happens during Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. When there's a hundred and some thousand Assyrians that die overnight because an angel of the Lord deals with them. (coughs) We're going to stop at verse 10 tonight and Brad will pick up verse 11 next week any um, thoughts or, or questions ideas that come to you that you'd like to share tonight yes Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Any of you would like to share maybe what the Lord might have been speaking to your heart tonight? You don't have to go into detail, but just a general principle. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You know, um, it's easy to think that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But with the Lord, the shortest distance between point A and point B is whatever way he's going to take us. Because if we try to cut to the quick, that's why God doesn't tell us his plan. (laughs) Because I know for me, I'd like, hey, I can help you. 
And he says, no, no, all those detours are important. Oh, man, in England, they had things called diversions. You'd get off, all, all of a sudden, here's this yellow sign, diversion. You go, oh, no, because it would take you through the country on one-lane roads at night. And you can't see around the corners because they have 10-foot-high hedgerows on each side. And hopefully nobody's coming. At least you can kind of see the glare of the headlights if a car is coming around. And you know, you're, you're driving on the left side of the road and you're shifting with your left hand. But the pedals are the same down there. And um, a lot of cars don't have any wing mirrors because they get sheared off by either the hedgerows or cars going by the other way. <laughs> yeah, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Probably caused my heart attack. I don't know. <laughs> Anybody else? Quickly here. We'll close it off. I was just thinking how it, uh, it made me think of all the warnings that uh, we have in this country, but uh, we're not heeding them. That's true. All, all the foundations are falling apart, and the politicians will talk about anything except what's really important. Yeah. All the trivial issues. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, from there, we, we just have to get on our knees and say, you know, God, I don't even know what's true anymore. Right. You know, I don't even know, no matter where I hear, I don't even know how much of it is true, if any of it's true. But you know the truth. And so, Lord, you have a plan for this country, but it starts with repentance. Because, you know, you, you can't, you can't trust in politics to bring about righteousness. I think I shared this before, but, you know, it was Jay Leno who said, the word politics is a compound word. Poly meaning many and ticks meaning bloodsuckers. <laughs> so you can't trust in politics. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I don't know, uh, to be truthful, because I don't know who to trust. But, you know, we're, we're flying over to the UK on March 20th and, and into Europe. Uh, we were going to go into Italy. This is amazing. We were going to go into Italy to see the brethren up in northern Italy. But we just didn't have a witness from the Lord to go there. This is before all this stuff happened. And so we decided, okay, we're not going to make that part of our itinerary. Well, the, the Calvary Chapel there in Montebelluna has been forced by the government not to meet together. And for the first time last Sunday in 23 years, they haven't been able to meet on Sunday morning. So what do you do? Well, you think, okay... If that's really going to happen, then we got to have church live online because we want to still minister to the brethren, still feed them. If we can't get together, I mean, you know, the underground church in China has to deal with this, right? And so, um, but for us, the, the virus, um, like the swine flu and, and other viruses that have come through, 
um, you do reasonable things. You wash your hands a lot. You be careful not to be putting your hands and your eyes and your face. Um, you don't shake hands, elbow bumps. You know, just And you know, it may come to, to the point if it's really a pandemic or something, you know, you, you really can't do the why don't you go say hi to your neighbor kind of thing. Um, you know, you have to just work with it. Um, but I think there's a hysteria that gets stirred up. And we just need to say, you know, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Um, you know, whether the earthquake or the flood, I think it's Psalm 40, is it? I think it is, something like that. So that's my, that, that's my take on it. That's how I'm going to live my life. Be careful, but I'm still, I still need to do the work of the Lord. Because um, if it's my time to go, I'm just, I'm saying fine. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm going to be wise um, as a serpent, harmless as a dove. All right, gang, thank you so much for our Bible study, being here. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart on some issues while we've gone through these verses, it's really important to take those home, write them down. And then, because that's kind of like priming, priming the pump so that the water can, can flow. Because God's brought your attention to something and you need to shema. You need to hear with obedience. Okay, Lord, you're trying to get my attention. What am I to do with this? What's this look like as I'm walking out um, my life. Does that make sense? Yep. Sure All right. Good old James. I've known James for a long time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight for your word. The things that you've spoken to our heart about, Father, we ask that you would go deeper with us about it and give us instruction, Lord. Give us insight on in how we are to a follow through and obedience and what, what that looks like on an everyday basis. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are new. We trust you with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.